We read this morning Revelation 12. Revelation 12. Revelation 12 gives us a snapshot of all of history concerning the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the establishment and the perfection of that kingdom, much like the dream that Daniel interpreted about the great stone that comes out of the mountain and grows and fills the earth and demolishes the kingdom of Babylon and all the others. Revelation 12, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars, and she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation, and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God night and day. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, 
that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with a woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. We read that far in God's holy word. We consider, in connection with that scripture and many others, Lord's Day 48 this morning. Lord's Day 48 on the second petition. What is or which is the second petition? Thy kingdom come. That is, rule us so by thy word and spirit that we may submit ourselves more and more to thee. Preserve and increase thy church. Destroy the works of the devil and all violence which would exalt itself against thee and also all wicked counsels devised against thy holy word, till the full perfection of thy kingdom take place, wherein thou shalt be all in all. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, we now consider the petition the Lord taught us to pray for the kingdom of God, also known as the kingdom of heaven, the same thing. Specifically about God's kingdom, we pray that the kingdom come, and that raises a question, a question very similar to other things for which we are called to pray, such as the forgiveness of sins and even the life everlasting. That question is, why do we pray for something to occur in the future that we already have now? For example, we may ask, why is it that I am called by my Lord Jesus to pray for the forgiveness of sins when I believe that my sins are already forgiven? Or why do I pray for God's name to be holy when that name we all know is already holy? We may ask a similar question with regard to God's kingdom coming. Isn't the kingdom of God already come? Did we not just read that? Isn't it true that the kingdom in the past tense has come? 
In Revelation 12, verse 10, we read that when Jesus ascended into heaven and cast the devil out of heaven, then a voice was heard, a voice that was heard several thousand years ago, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God. That happened in the past. In Luke 11, verse 20, we read that Jesus said, If I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, which he was doing already on earth before he even ascended, if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt, therefore, the kingdom is come. So even though we read in Revelation 12 that when Jesus ascended, a voice said the kingdom is come, Jesus was claiming that the kingdom is come already when he was casting out devils on the earth. In Luke 10 verse 9, Jesus, when he sent his disciples out to do mission labors, he told them to announce to those to whom they preached the kingdom of God is come unto you. They would knock on a door, and when the door opened, they would say, the kingdom of God is come. Indeed, the kingdom has come. The Bible does not contradict itself, nor are those words that speak of the coming of the kingdom in the past tense false and wrong, nor may we dismiss them casually. The kingdom is come in a very real sense because it is here. It is present. The king himself has come. The king himself has been born from the woman who was in travail. That king has come and shown he's come by doing what he did. He could not cast out devils unless the kingdom is come The kingdom has come in that he's ascended and actually sits upon the heavenly throne of that heavenly kingdom. And the kingdom has come in the sense that any any aspect or part of the reign or rule of Jesus Christ up until this moment is a manifestation of that kingdom that is there and real. It's not as if the kingdom does not exist, that it's not here, and we won't see it until Jesus returns. And yet the Lord says, pray, thy kingdom come. God has us pray that for basically the same reason that we make these other requests. For example, we will be taught to pray for the forgiveness of sins, not because our sins are not forgiven. Our sins, even the future sins, are already forgiven. But there is a real sense, too, that we need to know again and again and again that our sins are forgiven because we continue to sin. And Jesus tells us this is the means and the way that God reminds us that our sins are forgiven and provides that even. God's name indeed is holy, but we pray that His name be holy with regard to us in our own lives, in our own understanding and knowledge of Him. 
which is why we were taught to pray that God fulfill that by teaching us to know Him rightly and to serve Him rightly. We do that sinfully now. And so also there is a real sense, too, in which the kingdom is not come. The devil has been thrown out of heaven, but he continues to roam the earth. The kingdom is come, and yet the devil knows he has but a short time. The kingdom is come, but Jesus is still in heaven. He has not returned. The kingdom is come. And that there are citizens that have been called into that kingdom, but there are yet more to be called. You see, the kingdom has not reached the full perfection or even completion of that kingdom that God has ordained for Christ to accomplish. Christ is king and continues to rule and rule in time. He's doing that now. And our prayer is for that rule and for that kingdom. Consider with me prayer for God's kingdom, for what we pray, how God grants it, and why we ask. So we must first consider what it is we are actually praying about. The subject, when we ask the kingdom to come, what kingdom are we talking about? What do we mean by the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And specifically, we look at that together because this is a doctrine and a truth that is terribly corrupted in our day by those who claim to be Christians, by those who pray, Thy kingdom come, and who, when making that prayer, are praying for something radically different then you and I are called to pray for. And in fact, their prayer is the exact opposite often than what we are praying for. And there's a reason for that. One of the great deceits of Satan, one of the great things about which he lies, one of the great falsehoods that must be destroyed, must be exposed, and must be preached against, is the lie that the kingdom of Christ is of this world. That is a doctrine and a truth that is as old as Satan himself. We must not imagine that this simply arose, this notion, in our day. Although it has been perfected in our day, it has names that have been given to it in our day. But it began a long time ago. We may say it's as old as Adam and Eve who really were tempted tempted to establish a kingdom which they imagined would be of God on this earth. A kingdom in which they would be king and queen and all of their children would be princes and princesses. After God brought that to light, after man fell, that has continued. It is not just the world 
that has attempted continually over and over again to establish a kingdom, a kingdom that is of man, a kingdom that exalts man, where a man rules on behalf of man and promises man all the things that kingdoms are known for, glory and honor and power and dominion. And that this drive, this desire of man explains the warfare, the murder, the unrest among the nations, which as a part of the kingdom of Satan that he tries to establish against the kingdom of Christ, he is busy trying to overcome himself. He himself, the same book of Revelation makes clear, is busy trying to unite the nations, which he almost accomplished at Babel, Nevertheless, it is the church also that has engaged wrongly in this labor. And whenever it does, it always finds itself in one way or another as an ally of the world. And what what characterizes all those attempts is a wrong view of the kingdom. The kingdom is viewed as earthly and physical. This was the great error and sin of the nation of Israel. God indeed established a theocracy. He established a religious nation under His name and bearing His name. An actual land flowing with milk and honey and riches and an army and an earthly king. And Israel time and time again failed to see that as a picture that even as the land of Canaan was a picture of the kingdom of heaven for Abraham. And because he never truly received that land as his own, he believed and knew that it would come through the Messiah, through the Christ. Nevertheless, Israel in subsequent years tried to imagine that the kingdom of Christ the kingdom of the son of David that would be established would be in Jerusalem on a throne and conquer all the other nations which God showed was not only wrong, but was part of their own idolatry. You see, we are all naturally idolaters. And what we idolize, what we want, what we seek in our nature, in our soul, is basically the same thing as all the ungodly and wicked. It is in our heart and soul as individuals and people to seek after all the same things that the kingdom of the world does. So it has always been a great temptation and something that must be preached against that the kingdom of God is the kingdom of God, not of man. It is the kingdom of heaven and not the kingdom of earth. Even though, as we're going to see, it has an earthly manifestation. Now this has been perfected in our own day. There are different views of the perfection of the kingdom. And those views, the wrong ones, all have in common 
that they are seeking an earthly kingdom of some sort to be established on this earth by Jesus Christ or in the name of Jesus Christ. They are not simply errors that have to do with wrong views about what a thousand years is, so we call them millennial views. But they are errors about what the kingdom is. One error looks for a kingdom of Jesus Christ on the earth with the Jews. That the great plan, the great coming of the kingdom consists of this. That God will once again raise the nation of Israel even above all the other nations and the throne of David above every other earthly nation. And that will occur in Jerusalem on a literal throne in Jerusalem. And Christ will be there. And He will conquer all the nations and all the world by literal, physical force, just like nations are conquered today. This is not with the church. It's not with you and I. What the church is to do when it prays for the coming of the kingdom, what the church is to do is to pray that that kingdom be established. It's to promote the rise of the nation of Jews. It is to look for that, to pray for that, to promote that, to give its money to that. Because when that happens, when that is about ready to go, then the church is raptured. It disappears from the earth. It's no longer on the earth. Then Christ returns and reigns. And all the Old Testament laws are reinstituted. The priests come back, the sacrifices come back, the slaughter of lambs and oxen and bulls, all the tithing, all the other things that are in the Old Testament come back. Now what's wrong with that view beside the fact that it promotes an earthly kingdom, a literal earthly physical kingdom, and the fact that it takes the church out of view, closely related to that is the error is that there's only one kingdom and it's not the church or if you view it as two kingdoms they're completely different kingdoms and the Bible only knows of one Christ one Lord one King one kingdom Old Testament and New Testament are essentially one there's one Word of God even though there's different testaments different revelations of that one kingdom but it's earthly and physical and there's millions and millions of Christians in churches today even on this day who when they pray thy kingdom come are praying for that they're looking for that their prayer is that I be raptured off the earth before Christ comes and the great tribulation starts there's another view that's different that indeed makes the kingdom with the church but it sees the coming of the kingdom also as a physical manifestation of the reign of Jesus Christ in the earth in this way that as the gospel goes forth, the result is that nations are Christianized. They more and more appear, at least outwardly, to be Christians. And even more importantly, the church itself becomes the political leader, ruler, the political authority and power over all the nations of the earth, which, when it institutes all the rules and commandments of God, many Old Testament, in one view at least, then what happens is there's peace and prosperity. Life is lengthened for a long, long, long time. 
And there's a golden age of prosperity for a thousand years. And then Christ comes. That view is also wrong. It is earthly. It is carnal. It is simply looking for another physical kingdom. It is simply looking for more physical honor and glory for man. And it is of this earth. Its origins are of this earth as much as one interjects Christ into the equation. The Reformed and biblical view of the kingdom of heaven has nothing to do with those views. And that's because Jesus makes plain, the Bible makes plain, the confessions make plain that the kingdom is not physical, it's spiritual. And that's true even when there is a physical, visible manifestation of the kingdom. We don't deny that. We are that. You can see the kingdom from a certain viewpoint in that just like the Spirit of Jesus Christ can be seen in us, the Spirit which is invisible, the Spirit which cannot be seen is visible by its effect, by how He moves us and motivates us and changes us, so also the kingdom of Christ. You cannot have the spiritual kingdom of heaven come to earth without seeing the effect. There will be something visible there, yet its essence, its core, its character is entirely spiritual. There's an analogy that can be drawn with regard to you. That you, who are a member of the kingdom and a citizen of the kingdom, are essentially spiritual. Oh yes, there's a visible manifestation of you, and it's you, but that part that is of the kingdom of heaven is spiritual, entirely spiritual. So much so that one day you're going to die, the body's going to go into the grave, and the soul goes to heaven. And that body is essentially worthless until it's raised up and made spiritual also. Jesus is going to show the essential spiritual king character of the kingdom even at the end of time, when the book of Revelations makes the Revelation makes plain to us that the church, the church, which is essentially spiritual, it takes visible form, will be persecuted so that that visible form can no longer be seen. That is Christ, that is God showing what's essentially true of us, that at our core, that our essence, our very inmost being, the church is spiritual, even as you are spiritual. What do we mean by spiritual? We mean that it's heavenly. The source is heavenly. The kingdom of heaven doesn't arise out of the earth and from the earth. And it doesn't do that because its king does it. The king of the kingdom of heaven is Jesus Christ. Oh, yes. He's a man. Oh yes, he is incarnate. Oh yes, he took a human nature from Mary. But who he is as a person is entirely heaven. He is the Son of God come down from heaven. And so much is his source and essence spiritual that when his work is done on earth, he ascends back up into heaven. 
And oh yes, He will come again. But when He comes again, He will make all things new, different, spiritual. Oh yes, they will be substantial. Just like our resurrected bodies will be substantial. They will walk, they will speak, they will see, they will hear. But greatly, greatly different in quality. Because the kingdom of heaven is spiritual. And Jesus teaches this time and time and time again. He teaches that the blessings that are enjoyed by the citizens of the kingdom are spiritual. They're not meat and drink, he says, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You see, the citizens of the kingdom aren't blessed by meat and drink. That's how carnal people think. That's how the world thinks. That's how much of the church thinks. No, the citizens of the kingdom of heaven are blessed when they have righteousness, when they have joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. The citizens of the kingdom of heaven themselves are spiritual. Jesus reminds us of that. Love not the world. Why not? Well, you're not from the world anymore. You're from above. That word regeneration, regenerated means not simply born again, but born from above. The real life, the eternal life that we have doesn't come from this earth. It doesn't have its origins in Adam. It doesn't have its origins in nature. It has its origins in the kingdom of heaven. It's given from above. And so we read even about the great sermon on the kingdom. They are those who are poor in spirit. They mourn. They're meek. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're merciful. They're pure in heart. They're peacemakers. They're persecuted for righteousness' sake. They are reviled for Christ's sake. That's so much different than a kingdom of this world. And in many ways, that explains why the church hankers for a kingdom of the world, because they don't want to suffer. Why is it that millions of Christians today seek an earthly, physical kingdom in one way or another? The answer is because the coming of the kingdom is antithetical to the coming of the flesh. It often means that we must deny ourselves earthly pleasure, earthly money, earthly goods, earthly political power and gain. We're praying for the kingdom that is the church. When we pray for the kingdom, beloved, we're essentially praying for the church. Oh yes, to be sure, the kingdom includes the influence of the reign of Jesus Christ wherever it is found, but that influence as it is manifest and worked through and in the church, which is why it really can never be perfected in this life and can only be perfected and come when Jesus returns. And when He judges and casts out into hell the devil and all sinners and purges the world of all sin. The Bible characterizes that as God being all in all. You see, that's always the goal of all kingdoms. All kingdoms are essentially the manifestation of their king being all in all. The great kingdom of Alexander the Great was a manifestation of his glory and his power and his conquering force 
so that he was all in all. He was found on the coinage. He was carved into the temples. Everybody served him. So also the kingdom of Hitler. Well, how much more the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God comes when God is all in all. When His righteousness, His holiness, His life, His power infuses everything in His kingdom, in His world. When it moves, motivates, empowers. When it is worshipped and served by every citizen, every aspect of that kingdom. That can only happen when Christ returns. It's not going to happen in this earth any more than you're going to make yourself live forever. Oh, you may, by science and so on, extend your life. But who wants that? It's the church. And we've seen that already, so there's no sense to belabor the point. In First Peter 2, verse 9, the apostle calls the church a royal priesthood uses the language of the Old Testament kingdom of Israel and applies it to the New Testament church. In Matthew 16, verse 9, Jesus gives the keys of the kingdom to the church. Notice that. The keys of the kingdom belong to officers in the church. And notice what we learned earlier, they do. They either let people into the kingdom or they kick people out of the kingdom which we all know has to do with the church. When administer, a discipline is administered and the kingdom key is turned in the gate, then one is removed from the church. Or the gospel can also open the gate. And someone from the outside of the church comes into the church and brought into the church. So that's what the kingdom is. That's what we're praying for. We're essentially praying for and about the church. Now, what specifically do we mean when we say the kingdom come? Well, the catechism makes it very, very simple. Also proves that the church is the kingdom. Notice, thy kingdom come means that we're praying God so rule us by His Word and Spirit that we may submit ourselves more and more to Thee. Who's us? Who's we? Answer is, the members of the church. Those who belong to the church of Jesus Christ. Those who are engrafted into Jesus Christ by a true and living faith. And notice that even though they're engrafted into Jesus Christ, even though they belong already to the kingdom, even though they have been given rule of Jesus Christ over themselves, yet... Jesus says, pray thy kingdom come. And by that we mean, God, rule us, rule me, rule all of thy people by thy word and spirit. Well, isn't God already doing that? Isn't Christ already ruling over us by his word and spirit? And yet Jesus says, pray, so that we may more and more submit ourselves to Thee. Oh yes, the kingdom has come. Anytime a child of God, anytime one is brought into the kingdom, into the church, and joined to Jesus Christ by Jesus Christ Himself, the kingdom is come. Because that individual submits to 
the rule of God through Jesus Christ, and he submits to that rule through God's Word and Spirit. The kingdom has come. Right now, as the gospel is being preached, the Word goes forth, the Spirit with that Word. And it makes you and I submit to the rule of God in Jesus Christ. The kingdom has come, and yet we don't submit as we ought, do we? We still resist. We still sin. We still fall into sin. And so Jesus says, pray. Pray, thy kingdom come, meaning pray that God so rule over you and over me and over the church that more and more and more and more and more we submit to Him. And notice, submit to Him. You don't submit to the church. You don't submit to the elders as such. You don't submit to me. You don't submit really to anybody but Jesus Christ. And where that occurs, there's the kingdom. Do you understand that? Isn't that amazing? If one little child, and we really understand what a little child is by nature, a rebel and against God, when that little child folds its hands and from the heart prays unto God in submission to Him, when that little child understands the Word and Spirit of God as it comes to him or her, there you find the kingdom of heaven. Where you find rebellion, that's not of the kingdom. That's of the kingdom of this world. That's of the devil. That's our depravity. We call that conversion. If you want to know what we're praying for, we're praying for the conversion that we considered a long time ago before we considered the law of God. We're praying for a sincere sorrow of heart that we've provoked God by our sins. We're praying for repentance. We're praying for a sincere joy in God. We're praying for a sincere delight to live according to the commandments of God. That's what we're praying for. But also, we're praying that God do something to the church. He preserve and increase the church. Oh yes, the kingdom has come. There is a church here. There's the church of God in the world. There has been the church of God that's been growing since the time of the apostles until it covers the earth. The church being here shows the kingdom has come, and yet Jesus prays, pray that it will come, that it does come. And what are we praying for? Well, preserve the church. The church is still in this world. There's a devil trying to devour the church. There's a devil that's sending forth a flood of iniquity a flood of ungodliness and worldliness, a flood of temptation out into the world to try to wash you away, to carry you into the sewers, to carry you into the mire and the ditch and the muck of all the ungodly wickedness of this world. And you can't preserve yourself. You can't save yourself. You can't preserve yourself. God must preserve you. And God must preserve you only by His Word and Spirit. Notice that. Again, proof that the kingdom is spiritual. How does God create the kingdom? How does God grow the kingdom? And how does God preserve the kingdom? And the answer is by His Word and Spirit. Two spiritual things. The Word going forth with the power of the Spirit accomplishing God's purpose in all the world. Don't forget, preserve 
and increase. And increase, increase personally, so that we increase, that's the more and more conformable to Him. But increase the church numerically, add to its number. We forget about this too. Oh, the church in a location might be very small. A church at a time in history might be very small, but the kingdom has been coming since the beginning of time. And every time, God by His Word and Spirit engrafts someone into Jesus Christ and brings them into the church, the kingdom grows, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows. And such does God preserve the kingdom that it's the only kingdom that has existed from the beginning of time. Number the kingdoms of this world. Oh, they are mighty. Some have even conquered the known civilized world. The kingdoms of Babylon, the kingdoms of Greece, the kingdom of the Medes. Kingdoms in our own land and day. Mighty, powerful nations and kingdoms. And we look at them. They're amazing in the sight of the world. We see their power. We see their glory. And yet they all will fail including the kingdom that we currently live in in this nation. It will all fail. They all do. They all will be brought to naught because there's only one kingdom that comes. Because when we pray this, we're also praying for the destruction of everything against that kingdom. You cannot have a kingdom come unless all that opposes it is done away with and removed. So notice that. How can God by His Word and Spirit rule over us, so we submit more and more to Him. How can the church be preserved and increased without the destruction of that which opposes it? Why do we pray, Thy kingdom come? And is Jesus saying, because you have enemies. Don't ever forget you have enemies. Don't forget the devil is on the earth, and he's very, very filled with anger. Very, very filled with wrath because he's been defeated. He knows he's been defeated. He can't even be in heaven anymore. So he roams the earth seeking whom he may devour. He roams the earth with exceeding anger and hatred, spreading lies, the accusations that he made in heaven before God. These people don't belong here because Jesus has not given his life for their sins. He now brings against us, tries to cause us to doubt our salvation, to doubt our faith. That has to be destroyed. So when we pray, Thy kingdom come, we're saying, destroy the devil. Destroy all the works of the devil. And we have to understand what that means. You understand what that means? It means you cannot pray, Thy kingdom come, and hold on to your sin. It's not possible. You cannot maintain your lies to your wife or your lies to your employer uh, you cannot harbor the hatred that is found in your heart against, let's say, the government or perhaps against the elders. Uh, you cannot live with the covetousness for the things and idols of this world and make this prayer. Or if maybe that's where you start out and you truly make this prayer, realize what you're praying. You're praying the devil destroy that sin in your life. You know the sin that you like? You like your alcohol so that you're addicted to it, can't live without it? Then you're either making this prayer and saying, God, destroy it, because only God can. You can't. 
or you're lying and you're not making this prayer. And pretty soon you're going to find your prayers are just all about yourself anyway. Pretty soon all you're going to be praying about is that God make you healthy and fill your cupboards and give you nice-looking children. When a child of God prays, he's praying, destroy all the works of the devil, destroys lies, destroy him in the church. Destroy him in the church. If you're hiding sins, if you're keeping them from the public, if you're maintaining them and you know that, my prayer and the prayer of the rest of the church is that those works of the devil be destroyed, that to be exposed, that to be eliminated, that to be excised out of the church. Because it's only then that the church is preserved and increased. And where our sins are preserved and increased, then you'll find the kingdom elsewhere. You won't find it there any longer. Destroy all violence that would exalt itself against thee. Notice not all violence. God even uses violence for His own purposes and ends, but violence against Him. Violence that's directed against the church. Violence that would seek to persecute the church. Violence that oppresses a godly person happens in a marriage. You have an ungodly, wicked, unregenerated husband abuses his wife. He's violent against her with his words. You ask, why is he doing that? And the answer is often because he's become an agent of the devil and she represents Jesus Christ. This is a prayer that that violence end, to be destroyed, to be eliminated. All wicked counsels devised against God's holy word. You don't think that's going on? Always the devil is moving men to get together. To get together against the church, against the kingdom. Do you see that in the world of politics? Do you see that in the world? How the devil is convincing more and more institutions and people to turn against the church because the word is there. They don't want the word. They don't want God's word about marriage. They don't want God's word about fornication. They don't want God's word about homosexuality. They don't want God's word about grace. And so they get together and they actually plot about what to do about this. You and I don't see it. We see the effect of it often, but don't forget that's going on. And you and I are to pray for the end of that, the destruction of that. And why do we pray this? Well, we sort of answered that already, and the answer is because the full perfection of the kingdom hasn't taken place yet. Oh, in principle, it's there. The coming of the kingdom is certain. It's planned. Jesus is ready. Jesus now is actually perfecting that kingdom and making it come to pass, making it be what it's supposed to be, including answering all these prayers concerning that. And one reason we pray is because, well, He's our King and He tells us to. But don't forget, we, we have an interest in that kingdom. Maybe if you find that your prayer life isn't what it ought to be or you don't have any interest in these first petitions of the prayer, you should question yourself about that. That maybe the problem with you is that your prayers are all about your food and clothes and your house and your kids and your marriage. You have no interest in the kingdom. You have no interest in your food and clothes and house and marriage as it regards the kingdom. Those, those things are only for you. Those only to serve your own purpose as king. They're only to establish your honor and your glory. And that's all you're praying about. But if you have a real interest that God be all in all, if you desire 
with a sincere longing of faith that righteousness, the righteousness of God reign in the earth. That all the wicked devices and tricks and powers of the devil be removed. That all the wicked counsels be eliminated. That we so submit to God in our lives that they're perfect without sin. And that's what you really long for, isn't it? What if God could make us as a church? What if right now, and God's capable of doing this, made Trinity Protestant Reformed Church the institution that every institution on the world would submit to? The politicians and the kings, the Russias and the Germanys and the United States of the world all submitted to what we wanted. Let's suppose that our elders held the throne of the entire world. And in their hand was all of its gold and silver and nuclear weapons and armies. And it was all theirs. Would that make you happy? Even if you could live a thousand years. Would you be happy if after that you still had to die? You saw your loved ones die. And you saw sin in your life. Sin against God and against His Christ. No, what we long for is the perfection of the kingdom. And so pray, beloved, thy kingdom come. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, O Lord, our God, we thank thee for thy kingdom and for our great King, Jesus Christ. And we are thankful for our citizenship in that great and glorious place and kingdom. And we pray, O Lord, for its coming. We pray all these things that we have been taught we pray that with regard to ourselves and for our church and for thy church in this world until Jesus return. And in his name we pray, amen.